Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for joining me today on Behind the Story with Chuck Tuck. Today, topic is something near and dear to my heart, and I'm sure it is very near and dear to majority of you folks out there watching and listening. And I say this because it's about dogs. And if you are an animal lover, and especially dogs, this is um, an important topic. It really is. And I'm going to be talking to the CTO of an organization called Mission Canine Rescue. Again, that's missioncanirescue.org. And their, their mission is really to rescue, reunite, rehome, rehabilitate, and repair any retired working dog that has served mankind in any capacity. Now, it's there are a lot of important details and information on um, dogs and how they have served served us and then we kind of really discard them and you know treat them like well we say treat them like dogs or animals they are dogs and they are animals but you know in reality they are part of our family and I know that a lot of you that are listening that's exactly how you feel about your your pets dogs cats whatever maybe rabbits i don't know but you feel as though that they are no not you feel that they are a part of your family so again this is all about the organization mission canine so let's get right into this right after this short announcement so, Bob, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. I appreciate and, the invitation to be on. Always love to interview with folks. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I'm still showing a little bit of white hair underneath the collar because I wanted to put this shirt on because it's it's all about dogs today, right? I got that, too. It's right there. Oh, see? you do? Oh, yeah. I'm an old goat. Oh, yeah. You see, I've got dogs back here in the wall. Mm-hmm. So Lots of them. Got one down here at my feet somewhere. So. <laughs> Can you uh, let us all in on uh, the name of your organization and what you do? Absolutely can. Uh, Our organization is called Mission Canine Rescue. We've been working in the nonprofit sector all over the world for almost 10 years now. Our uh, charter is to bring military and contract working dogs and other working dogs that have served mankind in some way uh, home from every corner of the world when they retire. We have a lot of... uh, Military working dogs that get stuck overseas waiting for their handlers to adopt them. The handlers don't have the funds to transport them. Often the government does not pay to move the dogs back stateside when they continue their service. Contract working dogs that are owned privately uh, often receive poor veterinary care, poor food. Uh, Sometimes they get just uh, basically locked away and forgotten when they finish their uh, period of work. But uh, we, we bring these dogs home, we reunite them. Well, we brought home over 1,250 in the last 10 years. We've reunited 640 or more with their former uh, handlers. And uh, then we adopt the others uh, to the public as long as the, you know, the adopters are suitable for the nature of the dogs. Wow. You know what? I mean, thank you, first of all, for, for doing that. But what really sure. blows me away is that 
so much time and money is invested in training these dogs. And then like you're kind of, it almost sounds like that after they're done with their service, they're kind of almost discarded. They're really not looked it, after. Yeah, that's uh, with the military, the dogs receive good care. They're still in the kennel. They're getting good food. They're getting their veterinary care, but they don't have the stimulation or the activity. And working dogs uh, have to stay busy or they'll get lethargic. They can develop uh, illnesses as a result of being sitting too long. And it's just uh, sometimes they're in the kennel too long. It's not that they're not being treated well. It's just they're not used to the activity that they're getting. Now, in the cases of non-military uh, property and a contract dog that's owned by private, uh, private companies, sometimes they don't even get the basic meds. They don't get the basic vet care, and they get very poor quality food. And they'll work these dogs until they uh, have health problems or when they lose their drive, that's when they retire them. It's not a mandatory retirement age. I wish it was. We've seen a military working dog that was retired at 13 years old. He lived six months afterwards. You know, not much of a retirement. But uh, unfortunately, it's about their ability to work. And when they lose their ability to work, that's when the companies and the government pretty much uh, decide that's it. And they start to disposition them uh, out of the uh, environment. Wow. I hope you don't mind that I jump around because this is really interesting, especially um, on the private sector. Uh, mm-hmm. Do those folks or those businesses, um, do they get dogs that are already trained and then they lease them out or do they sell them? Or what's that process on the private uh, sector? In most, in most cases, the larger contract companies, uh, which, by the way, the larger companies do a good job. The ones that we go in and clean up behind are the small ones that have poor financial planning, that run out of money, uh, that are using foreign handlers overseas, and it's just and it's just kind of a mess. But um, yeah, it's it's it, it's a cash flow problem mainly. The small ones, uh, the bigger companies train their own dogs. They will buy their dogs from one place, they will train them, and then they'll deploy them, you know, to wherever they're working. Uh, some of the smaller companies buy the dogs already trained. There are there are a plethora of uh, dog trainers, both good and bad, in the United States and also overseas that train for explosives detection, narcotics, uh, patrol, apprehension, things like that. Hmm. Is you're, there free any to, type of... you're free to jump around as much as you want. Okay. Uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Because you're definitely touching upon certain things that's triggering more things in my head. So right. I, I was just wondering, is there any type of legislation that's been put into or that's somebody's trying to enact as far as uh, on behalf of the dogs for any type of care? I mean, you hear about Medicare for us and all this um, retirement programs, but is there anything that they're trying for for these service dogs? We've tried multiple times to get the attention of Congress. Um, Unfortunately not. Uh, When these dogs retire, there's no health care for them. There's no retirement. You know, it pretty much just is what it is. Now, in in 2016, then President Obama signed uh, a new iteration of the National Defense Authorization Act, which in it included a provision that military working dogs retired outside of the continental United States, or OCONOS, as they call it, would be returned to their stateside duty station, returned to United States soil. The military had six months to do it. They didn't do it. How they got around it was they consider the forward operating bases overseas as United States soil. Now, in some cases, though, recently we have two dogs that are in Korea that need to come home. Uh, it costs about $6,000 to get a dog home from Korea on a, on, a, on a cargo flight. It's insane. 
Uh, Guam is just as expensive. Japan is just as expensive. Uh, in this case, the military agreed to put the dogs on a rotator flight since there was more than one where they transfer equipment and uh, other assets, you know, to and from the bases overseas. So we dodged a bullet on that one. But many of them, we, we, we don't. Uh, we have 14 dogs that are in Kandahar, Afghanistan, that are finally going to be released by the Taliban, and we're trying to get them out. We have no idea. And by the way, before anybody jumps up and down and screams at the military, said no dogs were left in Afghanistan, these are contract dogs. But they're still, in my opinion, just as valuable an asset to us as the military dog because of what they did over there. These were bomb dogs. You know, they kept, they kept the area safe. And we have no idea what kind of physical condition these dogs are in. We got one home last month. His name was Max. Unfortunately, he had to be euthanized within a month because he had horrible degenerative myelopathy and couldn't walk, couldn't stand up. And it's all because of the environment that they're in. When you work someone like an athlete their entire life, uh, you have a lot of impacts to your body that come from it. And unfortunately, these dogs bear the brunt of some actual literal abuse. Again, not talking about military dogs. Military dogs get great treatment. There are a few military handlers that maybe have rocks for brains, and there's been a couple of problems, but nothing to the extent that we see with the contract dog world. We've received Belgian Malinois that should weigh 80 pounds, weighing 35 pounds, skin and bone, simply because contractors quit feeding them. And you never, uh, when they come out of the crate at the airport, you never know what you're going to get. Hmm. But we work with these dogs, we rehab them, and then we find them a suitable home. You know, as far as that cost that, um, that goes in to return the dog stateside, why, why does it and how does it cost so much? Are there fees that they tack on? Because, you know, that price that you threw out, yeah, I'm thinking... I could get a first-class seat, you know, for myself yes, coming home on that um, flight. Unfortunately, it's what they charge for live animal cargo. It's wow. just, it, it is what it is. We've begged. We've tried. Now, Southwest, good old Southwest, who's gotten a lot of grief recently over all the canceled flights, we've got a dog that we actually uh, picked up. He retired from the Space Force uh, the other day, and he's going home to his handler in El Paso today. And I don't know if we're going to, I don't know if the flight's canceled or not, but Southwest lets our dogs fly in cabin up at the bulkhead. But the dogs oh. that are coming from overseas, many of them that are bike trained and have aggression issues, you can't fly them with the public. They have to go in the, in the crate because I think most public airline travelers, <clears throat> excuse me, would be terrified seeing a dog growling at them with a muzzle when they came into the aircraft. Yeah, that, that, that's very true. Some of them can be a little testy. Now, we were talking earlier about um, these dogs being physically active and things like that. And then when they're mm -hmm. putting their, their crates, their kennels, or whatever we want to call them, and then they're kept there, and then they're brought back stateside, is do they have mental issues sometimes because of the fact that they were so active, and then all of a sudden they were neglected and just left in a crate that barely fits barely fits them it's not the, it isn't that way they, they have kennels you know they have room to move but i mean okay. can you imagine life on a con on a concrete floor for six months with you know that's five feet wide and 12 feet long uh-uh that's these no. dogs life um yeah we see we see a lot of ptsd coming in from canines that have been around explosions or that have been abandoned and neglected for a long time and it's uh 
it's fixable, but it is difficult. So what can we do as regular citizens out there watching and listening to this and getting this information? Is there something that we can do to help? And I ask this because there's, we have all these pet organizations here at stateside, Mm -hmm. local and things like that, that people give charitable donations. Uh, What can we do to help the canine rescue? Well, let me, let me tell you two things you can do to help. First of all, the nature of a nonprofit organization is to have its hand stuck out. They're always asking for money. In our case, uh, 90, almost 93% of every dollar goes toward the work, so we truly are no profit. Um, I use the rest for advertising to generate uh, about $2 million a year in donation income. We really need about four to do the work that we're needing. We've developed this over 10 years. But an even, uh, even better thing, an equal thing that you can do to help eliminate the need for us in the future. The, the happiest day of my life will be the day that every dog comes home, every dog gets a home, every dog goes to their handler, every dog gets vet care. Unfortunately, I don't see much chance of that happening in my lifetime. But if enough people like you write your congressman and say, hey, we understand that contract working dogs are often treated inhumanely overseas and the contractors, when they run out of money, the dogs that are first to suffer. We demand that the United States of America require any United States entity that is taking dogs abroad. Now, honestly, this doesn't solve the problem with the dogs we get from overseas owned by foreign companies, countries, uh, com- companies handled by foreign individuals. That doesn't fix that problem. But if we could force every contract in the United States to deposit enough money in advance for their dog's trip home and vet care and what have you, that way, when there's no more money, the dogs still are okay. Because when contractors go broke, the dogs are the first to take it, and then the handlers. Wow. That's what you could do. You could write a congressman. We have many people try it, but it's just it's a small, unregulated entity. And frankly, I think you're probably aware of the lack of anything much going on in our government these days, other than arguing back and forth. It's it's uh, it's sad, and I don't see much success in the effort, but uh, it's always worth a shot. Yeah. Uh, it, like I said, it's it's worth a shot because if we don't do anything, nothing will happen. That's an Correct. absolute. But if we make an effort, something could happen. So Correct. hopefully people who are watching and listening to this will do something or try something. But can you let us know one more time again uh, the website for your organization? There's several ways you can learn about us. If you'd like to donate to us, you can go to Mission K. 9rescue.org. You'll see a donate button there. Most of our work we put out on Facebook and Instagram. We're simply Mission K9 on Facebook and also the same on Instagram. Between those three sources, you can see pretty much everything that's going on, our dogs that are in our care, uh, various news, things like that. Okay. Uh, I'll make sure that we put that in our show notes as well so folks can uh, find that that to it easily. We have close to 117,000 very engaged supporters on the Facebook page. So it's okay. it's nice. You know, we post. There's not a lot of – used to we would hear, oh, the military brings the dogs home. You're lying. And then they found out after all these years, no, they weren't lying. The military doesn't bring the dogs home. So now instead of seeing a trickle, we see a steady flow of donations. And, it, and it's nice to see that what we've done is actually opened people's eyes. Yeah, uh, I, I guess, you know, we've heard the commercials before. Uh, maybe instead of drinking that second cup of coffee a day, put that towards for the uh, the canine rescue here. Uh, sure. It's not much it out helps. of our pockets, but. No. 
it's a huge That's difference. True. It's a, makes a huge difference. Uh, I'd like to know, is there like a time frame? How do I phrase this? Because you kind of said that they, the dogs don't really have a retirement age. They just go Correct. until they almost drop. But is there an average that you would say that a lot of the service Eight dogs can make it? Eight to nine years. And that 10. actually is a long time for a dog. Sure. It's a 70-year-old man if they're, you know, however, you know, 10 years old. That's uh, that's pretty old. Most yeah. of the dogs that I've adopted, I've had uh, three now. I'm on my fourth one. Uh, the first one was eight when he was retired. Uh, he lived until almost 14. And the second one, unfortunately, she lived six months after she retired uh, just because she had a really horrible, uh, it's called uh, hemangiosarcoma. It's a very nasty cancer that, well, we, we don't need to get into it, but it's uh, it was bad. And then uh, we had another working dog named Anubis. Uh, Anubis was literally beaten by foreign handlers because he wouldn't release his toy when he would find something and he would be rewarded with it. These dogs are looking for their toys when they're looking for drugs. They don't know they're looking for drugs or bombs, and their toys are rewarded when they won't drop it. The handler will either choke them out or he'll beat them. And that, these are these are foreign nationals. These are not American handlers. And again, I'm not saying that American handlers are not also subject to that sometime, but we don't see near the prevalence of abuse that we do with handlers in foreign countries, simply because some do not like dogs, period, but they're working the dogs. You know, the part that I don't, that, that's so difficult for me to fathom, and I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there that feel the same way as I do, is that we look at our, our dogs, our pets, as part of our family, and then we hear that this happens, and they're living beings, and we, you know, we question whether it's a human or a dog, but in this case, a dog. How can you treat a living animal like this? So yeah. They simply have no respect for the dog or what they do. They just simply think that dogs are dirty, filthy, nasty, and they're to be used as they're pleased. Now, is there a breed of dog that's more... Um, Prevalent in, in security and yes. uh, the canine, because I see German shepherds. You see German shepherds all the time in back, or most of the time, in back of a canine police car. But right, they're not the number one anymore. The, the the most commonly used working dog now worldwide is the Belgian Malinois. It's part of the shepherd family. They're lighter, they're and, and they're faster. We call them fur missiles. Uh, German shepherd is still the Second most uh, commonly used dog, followed by Labrador Retrievers, then Springer Spaniels, Springer Spaniels, uh, German Short-Haired Pointers. Let me ask you a question. Uh, for instance, TSA uses Labrador Retrievers, and they use Pointers, and they use Short-Haired Spaniels and English Spaniels for their drug detection in the airport or explosive detection in the airport. Why do you think they use those dogs in uh, particular? rather than a German uh, Shepherd or a Malinois. I, I would say that because they might look a little bit more friendly to the public, would be one. And, uh. You won the prize, yes, because they're not scary looking. They do the same job, but they don't, they're not as intimidating to, to, to be around. And the TSA guys hate me. I'll always talk to their dog when they bring the dog by. Like, <laughs> don't talk to the dog. Okay. <laughs> you know, the thing, too, is a lot of these dogs that you're mentioning, I know that they have uh, health issues just as a breed, uh, sure. hip dysplasia and things like that. So that's, that's another a breeder thing that... problem. Mm. 
Okay. The breeders are responsible for dysplasia in the dogs. A German Shepherd properly bred, a Belgian Malinois properly bred, will not develop dysplasia. Okay. That's that's actually that's really good to know. Now, as far as aside from the breeders, uh, are a lot of these dogs that go into service are they rescue dogs themselves to get no. retrained? Oh, they're not. No. So they're really specifically bred, specifically brought in at a young age to do this. They job. are trained from puppies to do their job. And it's kind of sad. There is one organization, which I will leave nameless because they disgust me, who actually thinks that retired working dogs should be put back to work when they come home. You know, these dogs are worn out and this person wants to repurpose them, put them in police departments. No, these dogs need to rest and to to Force the dog to work after it's already worked for eight or nine years is unconscionable to me. Well, I would certainly hope that people who are listening, again, listening and watching, and if they, you know or if you're with an organization or somebody that's going to um, hire a service or get a dog, don't get a dog that's been retired and put it back into work. Uh, like I said, because right. uh, if I retire, <laughs> when I get to retire, that's I'll retirement. I don't want to go back to work. Right. So. And, and they do. They want to repurpose them. I mean, we're talking about 10, 11-year-old dogs. They don't need to be chasing the bad guy. They don't need to be finding drugs. They're old. They need to rest. And yet there are people that would seek to put them back in the workforce. Now, can they look for stuff for fun? Absolutely. We have a dog in uh, Montana that finds elk antler sheds and makes his owner a lot of money because he's having a good time and people will buy those elk antlers. So he's finding stuff. That's not work. That's play. Work yeah. is, you know, you know, work is biting people and, you know, bomb detection and stuff like that. That's fun. Yeah. I, also, for my end, I just want to make sure that people know that when I say don't get a dog to put it back to work, doesn't mean that your your dog is not going to be your house guard dog, if that's what you want to call it. So it's just going to bark and that, you know, somebody's there and wants well, to play. Some of, will do, some of them will do a lot more than that. But uh, <laughs> if, if we even get a hint that someone wants to adopt a dog with bite training for protection, the answer is no, because those dogs will always wind up being euthanized because they'll bite somebody. For the same reason, we do not put bite trained patrol dogs with families with children under 12 years old. There's simply too much danger. You've got a toy crazy dog that wants a toy. Kids got the toy. He doesn't realize he just put 10 holes in the kid's hand to get the yeah. toy. So that's part well, of it. I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. So thank you for saying that because, um, you know, there there's you get a breed of dog out there, and if it does it, it, it gets bad news, a bad rap, and then there goes that entire line of breed of that particular dog gets a bad rap because it did right. whatever it might have done. And I've seen some news programs and even local from where I'm at, where they euthanize. Uh, they may have euthanized two of these three dogs, but uh, you know. Dog got loose. Uh, it's just like a neighbor's, and it was on the neighbor's porch. The other next door neighbor and little girl comes home, and she goes to try to open the doors, and dogs are jumping, but they're jumping to play. And you can see on the video they're jumping to play. So she grabs a broom and starts hitting it. Well, one of the dogs went to nip at her, and they said, "Well, the dogs attacked her." Well, she grabbed the broom and started hitting them, and yeah, then got they, euthanized. Yeah. Normally, a dog will get one bite free. And then if there's no, it's the second time is when the issues happen where they start calling for euthanasia. 
And we really, I have my German Shepherd, his name is Navy. He was retired early because of a little genetic defect in his hip from a small village in Canada called Longay. It's a little suburb in Quebec. He's bi-trained, and I have to literally keep my head on a swivel when he's around people because he is handler protective. He doesn't like any other dogs. He doesn't like any other people unless he gets to know them first. I've taken two bites from him before I knew his nature, but uh, he'd be one that would be on the euthanasia list if he were adopted to someone who had no idea of his nature. But uh, they're they're definitely, it's an experience, trust me. Uh, I've seen a chihuahua like that before. I mean, it it had that look on its eyes like this, and you just never knew if you make a sudden move, that thing was just like right at you, and it'll nip. It'll, It'll go for biting you. One of the worst um, bites I ever got was from a Jack Russell Terrier. A little dog ripped <laughs> through my pants, ate up my calf. A guy's name was Dan. Then had him like, Dan, get your dog off my calf. He's just hanging. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you say that because the, the last encounter that I actually had with the dog that bit me was a little Jack Russell Terrier. There are three of them. Once again, three. And they're just jumping and barking, jumping and barking. And I went to back up. And then the one right behind me right there just grabbed onto my, my ankle and grabbed my pant leg and just started shaking it around. I shook this one across the room and suggested the owner could get a hold of him. But uh, <laughs> no, it was no fun. He, I, he was wearing my leg for a minute. <laughs> uh, well, it's, can we talk a little bit now about uh, the local canine? How different is that from things from overseas? Uh, how often... How oh, often man. do these things get rehomed? Oh, oh, oh! There's a story behind oh, this one. Oh man, you want to get in? You want to open this can of worms? Let, I have to tell you that over the past five years, I've become very disappointed with our police departments all over the country because we have a number of them that want to dump their dogs on us. They want to dump their problem dogs instead of taking care of their dogs when there's a problem. They want to get rid of them. Uh, In the last six months, I've probably reviewed 20 to 30 requests from police departments to take dogs with multiple bites, bites to handlers. You know, these were dogs that did not receive proper training, did not receive proper management during the time that they're working, and this is what happens. You wind up with unadoptable dogs that need sanctuary situations, and we're not a sanctuary. We don't have the space to keep dogs for life. We move them in and out. We have close to 50 dogs right now. That's too many. We need we need about half that, and we're working hard to do it. And uh, we can't take uh, dogs that have severe bite issues. And there are only a couple of hospices in the not hospice but sanctuaries in the United States, and they're full. They're full to the brim. We stay full. Uh, we manage to uh, get and do what is needed, but uh, it, there, there's always uh, just more that needs to be done that's swept under the rug. Wow. Right now, I just want to throw in a little PSA then. You know, spay and neuter your pets. Uh, this is aside from, you know, these service dogs, but just in general. Actually, no, it's not. Okay. Because, but because when we get these dogs back, we get dogs from breeder programs. They haven't been spayed. Immediately, they get spayed. Any male dog that comes to us is intact. They are neutered before they're adopted because we don't want to promulgate an issue of aggression with a you know fully blazing 100% testosterone laced dog, when you know given a given a couple of months you know they'll level out. My dog has been neutered, 
but he's still a jerk. So, you know, you just have varying, varying levels of uh, aggravation. Okay. Um, yeah, well, you heard it. Just no matter what, then fix your Spay animals, fix your, your pets. pets. Spay and neuter your pets. And a lot of times we get people asking, well, do you have a female dog? And then we find out they want to breed them. It's like, no, not happening. Yeah, I, I'm... I know you are, and I know your organization is, but I have to say thank you for being proactive with that and responsible. Oh, it's important. It's very important. I don't want litters of unwanted Belgian Malinois. We already have every depart every police department in the United States and uh, contractors pushing their Belgian Malinois that are problem children on us. So, yeah, you need to make sure that you take care of that early. I just want to throw out something with the you know local – enforcement agencies uh it's yeah i see the the canine sign on the back of the car the squad car and then i see it on a 90 degree day and it's parked and maybe that guy is in having a donut or something and the window's just barely cracked car's not running so i know it's hot in there and we hear as people oftentimes or all the time don't leave your pets in the car on a hot day any, that any handler, any handler leaving his dog in a hot car should be never allowed to handle a dog again. I've seen too many of these cases. Good police departments, good security companies, they have temperature monitors. They have pop locks on these cars. When they get too hot, they will alert the handler. There's no excuse for a dog expiring from a heat stroke. Yeah. I, I'm going to throw out Tesla. This is one thing that I really like about the Tesla cars now. It, they have that doggy mode you know it's i drive a model three and i use it all the time you do yes i do I, that i'll be honest up front that is that would be like 25 percent of the reason why i purchased that car is you set that temperature and there's that little isn't a red dot that says that uh yeah. my my owner has so my, owner, my owner's nearby it's cool in here um, yeah, I, it, it's a great thing. I got the car to quit giving big oil companies their dollars. You know, I'm tired of getting, was paying close to $6 a gallon for gas in California. Got tired of that, but, uh, no, it's a, they've, they've done a good thing with what they've done with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now we, we've touched upon the type of breeds and, uh, uh, you know, the time of amount of service that, uh, these dogs put in. Is there anything else out there that, you know, that I'm not thinking of that you might want to bring forward to make people aware of that this is happening and we really need to do something about it. You, you Like you said, uh, send a note, send a letter, send an email, Congress people, do whatever you can uh, with your local state and state government to try to help these animals out. Uh, is there, what else really can we do? Uh, well, other than other than coming together as a populace and donating to give these dogs what they don't have, as well as trying to find space in your home for one, a big problem we have is qualified adopters. Uh, working dogs, for the most part, that are bike trained, are not friendly to other dogs. They don't like other dogs. My 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 German Shepherd will kill another dog that comes up on him. I have to be very very careful with him just because of his nature. But then we have a lot of dogs, old bomb dogs. They're just big babies. They won't lay on the couch. You know, they don't care because they've never been trained to uh, aggress. The biggest problem we have is, is people wanting to adopt. The ones that have the biggest hearts often have the largest number of animals, and that doesn't work. 
Plus, some people are hesitant to adopt an eight- or nine-year-old dog because they know the dog could be dead in three years. And yes, you know, I've been through three. I'm on my first one. First one lived five years. Second one lived six months. The third one lived uh, three years. And, you you know, you, you never get over that. You know, there's always uh, an ache there, you know, because of their the abilities of what they're able to do. It's it's a uh, you just don't get enough time with them. Yeah. Um, for people who are considering adopting a dog with that, and if you're afraid of the age, I, I would be the first person to say don't be afraid of that because you're going to get just as much, if not more, love out of that particular pet, that dog, that animal, in that short or long amount of time as you would from a, a, a puppy. And, I mean, you're, you're going to feel that love from that dog, and that dog's going to feel it from you, and, and both of you probably – want it and need it so i would i would highly say for people to really consider adopting an older um canine you know rescue dog correct Uh, now do you folks also offer uh fostering if people can't or don't want to adopt but they want to help that way well we will foster some dogs that are medical fosters. For instance, we have several dogs that were retired from a mine detection contracting company in Turkey. There are 14 of them. Every last one of these dogs had heartworms when they came here. How many of them should have had heartworms? That's how many should have had heartworms. Why do they have heartworms? No preventative medicine. Um, we will take fosters in that case that are local to our organization in Texas uh, where our facility is, just simply because we need to be able to, within a half a day's drive, if we need to get to a dog, we can, we can get to it and remove it or take it somewhere that it needs to go if the foster has a problem with it. But, yes, we, we do occasionally use fosters. Okay. And, and that could be fostered anywhere in the states, correct? Not just California, no, local, or is no, that preferable? Okay, no, no, no. Okay, no. First of all, let, let let me clarify something, and this always comes up. Our organization is Texas based. I split okay. my time between Southern California and, and Texas. I physically live in Thousand Oaks. What I do is all our fundraising, all our advertising, all our development work, all our tech stuff. I don't need to be where the dogs are, but the dogs are in Texas, and in our foster situations, they need to be within a three-hour drive of Houston. Okay, thanks for that clarification. Sure, that you're that helps. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's important. Y- yes, yes, it is because, you know, we don't want somebody in New Jersey calling you up and saying, hey, I want to foster a dog. It happens. We always have, we have people that want to volunteer all over the country. You know, we have dog people that want to take their dogs to their handlers, and I have to tell them that, you know, hey, that's kind of what we do. You know, we don't need help with that, but uh, thank you anyway. They yeah. want to they, they get that gratification. <laughs> well, uh, it's, this has been, eye-opening uh, to me because I really did not realize uh, how, if I can use the word deplorable, you know, how terrible the conditions are for these service dogs that basically were trained and worked their entire life. And then we kind of, yeah, they're tossed to on the them and, they're tossed yeah. to the, in the rubble. Yeah. And I, I just can't imagine doing that to my, wherever my dog is, he's back there on his chair. So I, I just couldn't imagine doing that to him. So, yeah. Um, uh, Bob, is there anything else that you would like to let the listeners and viewers know about the organization? Well, we're uh, we are a group of three founders: uh, myself, uh, Louisa Kastner, and Kristen Maurer is our president. 
These ladies are two of the hardest working individuals I've ever seen. Kristen is a former uh, canine handler. Louisa was a veterinary technician with the United States Army working with military working dogs. So they are uniquely qualified to understand the nature of the dogs, to give them uh, what, what they need, and they work tirelessly. Uh, Crystal will work 80 hours a week sometime, and I've had to literally had to sit her down and tell her, you can't keep doing this. You're going to have to get some help, whatever, because we want to maintain a very high spend toward our mission. We're not one of those 50 60% and put 40% in our pocket and go to Tahiti or, or whatever. Nobody flies first class. Nobody sleeps in fancy hotel rooms. Sometimes we sleep in an RV on the roadside with four dogs in tow. It's, uh, it's a selfless uh, work that we have entered into knowing the nature of it. And at times, uh, it, it, it's difficult to raise funds. Uh, I find that people always want to bring a dog home, but when it comes to healing them from something, they don't care. They won't give. And I really have to really push, 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 push to get that done. And last year, it almost bit a square in the rear. Uh, because we literally had too much month at the end of the money. We'd come into too much, too much work, and people were not giving. And I had to do one of those desperation fundraisers, and, hey, people responded, but I'd like to not have to do that this year. I'd like to see a steady stream of giving, and we have a lot to do with that as well. We need to be more active on social. We need to be more active uh, in, in the press and doing interviews just like this with you, and it's a huge benefit, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you this morning. Well, Bob, I, I I thank you for being on the show because, again, I was not aware of this situation. I was not mm -hmm. really even aware of uh, canine rescue and rehoming, readopting. So you've definitely opened my eyes to this. So. There's only about three of us, three or four of us, that actually do this work in the United States. One of them spun an office in Me Too and tried to steal our work. I'm not even going to mention their name. I can't stand them. A couple of other good companies that work with contract working dogs as well. But uh, it's a it's a very unique niche in the nonprofit world. Well, we'll make sure that we put all the information thank in you. the show notes. So, again, I Bob. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And, yeah, I'm, I will be doing my part. So. I will also tell you one more little thing that's on a happy nature. Yes. We didn't yeah. cover the most interesting working dog. It's a Jack Russell Terrier. What do you think Jack Russell Terriers do for work? They dig and find those little vermin, those little rats. No, I don't know. <laughs> no, they, they search submarines for drugs. Really? Because of their yes. size? Yes. They're, so they... When Jack Russell comes on the sub, the sailors get nervous if they've got their weed or something else hidden out. <laughs> wow. Okay. So All right. I'm, I'm first thing I'm... Here's a shout-out to my friend uh, Karen and Vince because they are uh, big into dog adoption, rehoming, but they are Jack Russell lovers and owners. So and here's Jacks to you guys are very out there. trainable. Jacks are very trainable for scent, and they, and, they, and they do a great work. And plus, their size is a plus. Yep. So that's your, happy, that's your happy note to end on. I love it. Thanks, Bob. Thank you so much. It's so nice to meet you, and thanks again for having me on.